0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Last week, I talked about that being the end of the series. I just, have to, I just have to add an appendix then. So don't consider this part of the series so I didn't break my word, okay? Because I realized, I mean, some of you are laughing. You don't believe anything I say anymore for the end of a series, but my problem is, I, I started praying about it on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and right away, because I started praying about Christmas series, and, and right away, I felt a no, because I left out something really big. And in the first three parts of the, of the Freedom series, I talked about, it, it was all about the our part in it. And, and so we talked about renewing your mind, and powerful truth, we have to renew our minds, absolutely essential. And I've heard many testimonies already this week, people who are beginning in this renew the mind process, great things happening. Um, but we talked about obedience. We talked about, you know, taking the masks off, you know, confession, vulnerability, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But I realized the moment I began to pray about it, it was like the Lord reminded me of something. I only talked about the one side of the coin, which was our part. I totally left out the biggest part, which is what has Jesus done for us? And really, that's the key. That's the source of the power. So I want to add this appendix Uh, to the the message series. So it's ended, but it's not ended. Um, But I want to talk today about what God has done for us. This is a hope message. This is a power message because really in the end, no matter what we do, apart from God's power, we can't be set free. And so I want to pray and then we're going to look Uh, at what Jesus did for us at the cross and who he says we are. And and from there, I I really believe God's going to do great things in our lives. And after that, we're going to enjoy the baptisms and the testimonies and all that. But let's just pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we come to you today. And we love you. Maybe it's a weak love. It's an imperfect love, absolutely. But we do love you and we are seeking you. And Lord Jesus, what you did for us on the cross is so stunning. I pray that we will never get tired of talking about it and studying it. And Jesus, I think of every person here today, many different people, many different walks of life, different things we come here from. But Lord Jesus, you died to set each one of us free and to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I pray today that you would touch each of us in a deep way, fill us with hope, and radically transform us. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to start with a passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This message is about what God has done for us. And we start with some really good news in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Happy verse. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought this was the hope message, right? Like, wait, that's not a hope verse, okay? I mean, he nails all of us in this passage, right? Uh, You know, a bunch of us, he had us at sexually immoral, but for sure he had almost all of us by idolaters, and if there was anyone left, he had us at greedy and somewhere in the rest. So we're messed up, and we struggle, and that's what this series has been about, and the Conquer series and the stuff we've been going through in fall. So we're messed up. I don't want to spend much more time on this verse, though, because it's in the next verse that Paul drops one of the happiest of happy bombshells. Right out of this verse, where it's like, yikes, that's all of us, and nobody who does this can inherit the kingdom of God. The very next verse, Paul drops this on us, and like I said, it's a happy bombshell. He says this in verse 11 And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You say, but I still struggle with it. Paul says, you're no longer defined by the things you struggle with. See, something actually happened in you and I. You say, how can Paul say I was that when I'm still doing that? And the answer is, see, when when we got saved, something actually happened when you and I got saved. If, If you truly gave your life to Jesus, Something happened inside of you. You're a spirit. The old man actually died and, and life came into your spirit. I want to show you this in another verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says this, therefore if anyone, and I'll just underline that anyone, not just spiritual people, not just preachers, not just leaders or prayer people, if anyone, that means anyone, if anyone is in christ he is not will be he is not will be not once he has it all together if anyone is in christ anyone has given their life to christ if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come you are a new creation your behavior just hasn't caught up with it yet you are a new creation, your behavior just hasn't caught up with it yet. So when you got saved, something actually happened. This is the Word of God and the Word of God isn't going to be wrong about anything it says. So I know that sometimes you and I don't feel like new creations. And I know that sometimes you and I don't look like new creations. But the fact of the matter is that something real actually happened the moment you gave your life to Christ. That old man died and a new man was reborn in the spirit, was not reborn, was born in the spirit, a new creation. You became a new creation. Now your behavior hasn't caught up to that. Now, I have to pause for just a moment. We're going to look at this extensively in this message, but I have to pause for just a moment because some Christians take this truth, I'm a new creation, they take it to weird, unbiblical, uh, cheap grace places. And so based on this, they they think it doesn't matter anymore, that there's no struggle, that that things just happen in the Christian life automatically. You don't have to struggle against it anymore. Uh, Some of them don't even think holy living really matters. Um, And I just want to show you, I want to take you to another passage quickly just to get rid of that that unbiblical extreme so that we can come back to what this truth really is. You are a new creation. Your behavior just hasn't caught up to it. But that doesn't mean there is no struggle against sin. If I go to Romans chapter 8, we'll just look at this struggle part for just a moment, just so we keep this whole thing in balance the whole time we're pursuing it. Romans 8 verse 12 says this, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So the fact that you're a new creation doesn't change the fact that if you continue to live in sin, sin is still death. The fact that you're a new creation doesn't mean now that sin has no consequences. If you continue to live in sin, it will still be death to your marriage. It will still be death in your family, to your kids. It will still be death in your emotions. It'll be death everywhere. If you continue to sin, sin is death. Okay? Very important. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that put to death, we've talked about that before, but if we just think about that again for a moment it. you know, sin does not go automatically. You will have to put it to death. They're with the Spirit's power, but sin does not just go away automatically. They're, anybody who teaches, it's just automatic. If you just fix your eyes on Jesus, it goes away automatically. It's not true. Paul says, a big element of the Christian life is putting it to death. You will have to take action. You will have to set your mind to it, and you will have to struggle against it. And putting to death, that, that wording, that phrase has the connotations of pain. Putting to death means it's going to be painful. A part of you will feel like it's dying sometimes. But there is a struggle. The fact that we've been made a new creation doesn't eliminate the need to struggle against sin. We do need to struggle against sin, and sometimes struggling against sin will be very painful and very tiring. But if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if we still struggle, why does Paul say that we're not those things anymore? And I want to explain it to you. I want to explain it to you with an analogy. You say, how can I be a new creation? How can I actually be something when my behavior doesn't show it yet? Okay? And I think one of the best uh, pictures of this truth is something we find in nature and it's a caterpillar and a butterfly. Okay? Now anybody knows a caterpillar doesn't look anything like a butterfly, right? A caterpillar's got Many legs. Actually, I should just stop there for one moment. Can I teach you something about caterpillars here this morning? I actually learned something really cool. Um, caterpillars technically don't have more legs than butterflies. Did you know that? Is that not weird? I, I, found out, I actually found out too many things about caterpillars this week, and I think some important information actually probably got lost in there, got pushed out. But, but technically, caterpillars only have six legs, just like a butterfly. Uh, but they have all these other—they're called fake legs. Well, I think I call them fake legs. I think there's a scientific name for them, but they're not real legs. They're uh, poopie or something. I don't think I'm saying that right, and uh, and don't quote me on that. But anyway, they're for grabbing onto plants. But technically, they're not legs. But anyway, even the fake legs—they've got a whole bunch of things that look like legs. They're long and they're ugly. Okay? They can't fly. They don't have wings. And they're, they're gross. Okay? I don't kill butterflies. But when caterpillars are on my trees, I kill them. Okay? Um, caterpillar, a caterpillar does not look anything like a butterfly. And yet, and yet, deep down inside that caterpillar in its DNA, that is exactly what that caterpillar is. And if that caterpillar struggles through, and by the way, life as a caterpillar is a struggle. Now, I haven't done extensive interviews with caterpillars, but just from external observations. <laughs> just so we're clear on that, I have never talked to a caterpillar, all right? Um, but it, I mean, it's, but, but life for caterpillars struggle. Some caterpillars have to eat 27,000 times their body weight in food in the several weeks of their life cycle, okay? So that's a lot of work. They have to avoid predators, they've got to build a cocoon, go through a fast, and at the end of it, they have to struggle out of the cocoon in order to be a butterfly, okay? So a caterpillar's life, there is struggle there. Now, but if a caterpillar doesn't look anything like a butterfly, it's nothing like a butterfly. It doesn't fly. It doesn't look like one. It's not beautiful. None of those things. But if the caterpillar will struggle through its life cycle and and it will inevitably, it will inevitably become a butterfly. That word inevitable is really important. That caterpillar... The only thing that can shortcut a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, well, I mean, he could get eaten by a predator or squished by me on one of my trees or something like that, right? That doesn't have an analogy to us in the Christian life, thankfully, okay? But the only thing other than those things that can shortcut a caterpillar to keep him from becoming a butterfly is for that caterpillar to just give up on his life and not struggle through. If he just, you know, gets depressed and goes up on a branch and stops eating, he won't become a butterfly. But other than that, if the caterpillar just struggles through and does, just puts, you know, one, you know, leg in front of the other or whatever and just keeps going through its life cycle and does what it needs to do, it will inevitably become a butterfly. It won't even, it's not even possible for a, butterf- for a caterpillar to stay a caterpillar. Did you know that? Like, not only will a caterpillar not turn into a monkey, it won't turn into a lizard, it won't turn into a parrot, any of those things, But also, a caterpillar cannot stay a caterpillar. If it carries through in its life cycle, it will inevitably, no matter how much you look at that thing and say, it is not a butterfly, deep down in its DNA, it is a butterfly. And as a result, it is inevitable that it will become a butterfly. Now, here's the truth that we see in 1 Corinthians. You were this. In 2 Corinthians, you are a new creation. When you gave your life to Jesus, just like that caterpillar doesn't look anything like a butterfly, but deep down in its DNA, it exactly is a butterfly. The moment you gave, if you truly gave your life to Christ, the moment you gave your life to him, deep in your spirit, a new DNA was implanted. And you became, you don't see it yet any more than that caterpillar can't fly. You don't see it yet. That caterpillar thinks I'm not a butterfly, I can't fly, I'm not pretty but inevitably, if he continues to struggle, he will become it. The moment you gave your life to Christ, that DNA was put in you, that you became a new creation. And if you will just struggle through, now you can shortcut it by going up and sitting on a branch like that caterpillar and just saying, I'm not going to pursue Jesus. I'm not going to struggle after this thing. I'm just going to live to myself. You can, you can short circuit some things there, but if you will if you will struggle on and you will pursue Jesus, it is inevitable that you will eventually, your externals will show that you are a new creation. And I want to show this, this inevitability is also in scripture, Romans chapter 8, if we go back there, starting in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I want to stop it for just a moment. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That word predestined, it means predetermined, it means foreordained, it means guaranteed. Something in the future, the moment you gave your life to Christ, something became guaranteed. The moment you gave your life to Christ, there was something immediately, it was predetermined. It's not ha- it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. It's predetermined, it's foreordained, it's predestined, it's guaranteed. What is guaranteed? What is predetermined? What is predestined? If we keep reading, this is what we find. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is predetermined? the moment you gave your life to Christ. The only way you can shortcut this is just to give up the struggle and not pursue him. But the moment you gave your life to Christ, if you will just struggle on and continue to pursue him, it became guaranteed and predetermined and foreordained that you would be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I don't mean you're going to become God like Jesus or have his power or anything. I always have to add that caveat for some people who would go cultish places with this. We're talking about his, his character. And so I know a lot of things about Jesus that we can say for sure. I know that Jesus isn't a porn addict. I know that Jesus isn't angry, bitter, or unrelational. I know that Jesus isn't a liar. I know that Jesus isn't a failure. I know that Jesus isn't governed by depression or anxiety. I know that Jesus is full of love. I know that Jesus is full of joy. I know that Jesus is full of peace. I know that Jesus is full of kindness and patience. And Jesus' DNA, if you've given your life to him, has now become your DNA. Verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you don't give up, that's your only part. To pursue him, to struggle on. But if you pursue him, it is, predetermined, it is guaranteed that you are going to end up in his likeness. You are not a porn addict. You are not just an angry person. You are not a bad parent. You are not an unloving, impatient person. Your DNA, you might look sometimes like that on the outside still, but that is not who you are. And if you will struggle on towards him. Now, this is why The renewing of our minds. Last week we talked about the renewing of our minds. This is why the renewing of our minds is so absolutely vital and important. Because many Christians are struggling from a position of hopelessness rather than from a position of victory. Many Christians, it's like they're the caterpillar, but they just look at themselves. They look at how unbutterfly like they are. They get totally depressed. They want to give up on the struggle because it's like, I'm nothing like a butterfly. And so they don't even, they don't have the energy to continue on being, you know, just with the struggle. To eat their 27,000 times their body weight or whatever, right? So they lose hope because they're struggling from a place of hopelessness. This is who I am. They can't imagine being free. They can't imagine not being discouraged. They can't imagine not being addicted. They can't imagine... Not being impatient and angry and unloving. And whatever you picture yourself as, you're, you're always going to, you're, you're, in the end, you're going to come back here because you're not going to be able to struggle over the long term. You're always going to think it's inevitable. I'm going to end up as this because this is who I am. And so we struggle from a position of hopelessness. Which is why it is so important that we renew our minds in this because if we only think of ourselves as per our behavior, we are going to get depressed. But if we look in the Word of God and say, yes, It looks like I'm a caterpillar. I'm not looking anything like a butterfly right now. But the word of God says that I am a new creation deep down inside. Now, as I struggle, I don't cease to struggle. I continue to struggle. But now there's a faith that's fueling me, a faith and a hope. I'm struggling because I know if I don't stop, I'm going to overcome. I know it is inevitable, it is guaranteed that I will overcome by the power of the Spirit because I'm not this person over here. I am a new creation. And I have been justified and clean and all of that. So we need to renew our minds. And one of the things I want us to do this morning is I want us to renew our minds again at the cross. To study again afresh what Jesus did for us at the cross. And to see what is blocking us, what is blocking us from becoming in our externals, the new creation that we already are on the inside. So I want to take a few minutes now right in the middle of this message. And we're going to go to Isaiah 53. Because the cross is so important, where did all this happen? Was at the cross. Where did this, you know, this whole new creation power, this spirit power, this new DNA? What this all goes back to the cross, and we have to often go back. Sometimes I feel like as Christians we get bored of the cross almost because it's like, well, it's that old story. We've you know talked about it a million times. It's like this big thing for Christianity, but it is actually the heart of everything. And so I want to go back. Isaiah 53 is an amazing prophecy. It's in the Old Testament. It was written 650 to 700 years before jesus was born which is really amazing because as we read this and i don't have time to read the whole chapter i wish i had time to go through the whole chapter i'm just going to take a little chunk out of isaiah 53 but it's really amazing we read this with new testament eyes we don't appreciate the fact that isaiah wrote this 700 years before jesus this is in the old testament and he writes this incredible prophecy about what jesus was going to have to do now obviously isaiah didn't know the name of jesus yet But he writes this incredible prophecy about what Jesus was going to do at the cross and what it would mean for us. Isaiah 53 could be in the New Testament. It could be. It's it's just that good. It's that extensive the way it, it describes everything. If we start in verse number two of Isaiah 53, remembering again that this is written six or seven centuries before Jesus, Isaiah says this, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, okay, and no beauty that we should desire him. So in outward appearance, Isaiah's, you know, He's, again, prophesying 700 years in the future that this Messiah would just look like, on the outside, would just look like a regular person. There wouldn't be anything to set him apart. Would, he'd, be, he'd look like a, 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 just a regular human being. <coughs> Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So the king of kings came to earth, but he got no respect. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So we, we blamed him. The, the Jews in Jesus' day, they saw him suffering and they said it was, it's his fault he's suffering, right? But, verse 5, he wasn't suffering for his own sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I want to talk about that line there. Again, it's an amazing chapter. You read the whole chapter. There's other prophecies about where he would be buried and stuff that all came true. It's really incredible. And again, we need to appreciate that this was written in the Old Testament and it could fit in the New Testament. It's just so good. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We read that phrase, mostly what we think is that Jesus took our sins in the sense that he took our punishment and most certainly he did that. Absolutely. I'm so glad, aren't you, that Jesus took our punishment that we don't have to be punished for our sins. If we receive them into our lives, we don't have to be punished for our sins. But when it says here that the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all, it's not just that he took the punishment of our sins. Because I think often as Christians, how we picture it is, Jesus took the punishment for my sins, but my sins are still on me because I feel them. I'm still in them. I'm still struggling with them, so I don't get punished. He's forgiven me in that sense, but I'm still, you know, kind of tied up in them. But actually what Jesus did for us at the cross is so much better than that. And I'm going to write, I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture in Leviticus 16, and then we'll come back to Isaiah 53. Because in Leviticus 16, we have one of the most incredible pictures of Jesus, what Jesus did for us at the cross in the Old Testament, uh, 1,500 years, God and his brilliance, uh, 1,500 years before Jesus was ever born, he gave to Moses the law, and in there, he, he, he gave the Israelites something that they would act out every year. So for 1,500 years before Jesus came, every year the Israelites were, were acting out what Jesus was going to do for us at the cross on the Day of Atonement. And what would happen is on the Day of Atonement, I'm going to read it to you in just a moment, but what would happen is on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of a goat... And would confess all the sins of Israel over that goat, and then the goat would take the sins. And so I'm going to read it to you now, but we're going to see something interesting here, that when Jesus took our iniquities on us, he didn't just take our punishment, okay? This is really, really important. So if we go to Leviticus 16, verses 20 to 22, this is what we see. So remember, this is written even seven, you know, 800 years before Isaiah, okay? More than 1,000 years before Jesus. And when he, Aaron the high priest, has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. Now look at this. This is so stunning to see this in retrospect. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, this again, powerful picture. Amazing that God had them acting this out before Jesus even came. But what I want you to see here is that this goat, it's not like God would just forgive the sins of Israel. It's in the sense that now you don't get punished for your sins, but your sins are still on you. Notice they would put the sins on the goat they would put the sins on the goat, and then the goat would take the sins out of the camp into a remote area. In other words, what Jesus did for us in the cross is he didn't just forgive us of the punishment of our sins, but leave the sins on us. Actually, our sins went on to him. He carries them out of the camp. He carries them away for, from us. And why this is so important is this. We have not just been forgiven in the sense of delivered from punishment, but because Jesus has actually carried our sins away from us, what that means is we can now even be healed from the consequences of our sins and the roots of sin that are inside of us. We're not just forgiven in the sense of, I don't get punished now for everything I've done, but because he's carried away, we can now be healed. We can be healed of the consequences of our sins because he actually carried the sins away, okay? So if we go back now to Isaiah 53, we see this little gem at the end of verse 5. I'll just read all of verse 5 again. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Because he carried our sins away from us, it means we can also be healed of the roots and the consequences inside of us of our sins. That is an absolutely unbelievable statement. It's It's an unbelievable promise. Now, I'm just going to take a little time out here for just a moment. I have to clear up something theologically so we can really hone back in on this promise. Because I, whenever we come to promise in Scripture, the more clear we can be about what that promise is, the more powerful it becomes. And some people take this promise, with his wounds we are healed, they apply it to something a little different. They, they say that by his wounds we are healed means by his wounds we are healed Physically. Well, So what they take it to mean is, if you give your life to Christ, it is now your right to be healed physically. Anytime you get sick, if you just have faith, you'll be healed physically, okay? And, uh, and again, not bad people who teach us necessarily or anything like that, but I want us to be really clear about what this promise is so we can hone in on it, we can take a hold of it and have confidence, okay? This promise is not a guarantee of physical healing in this lifetime, okay? And of course we experience that, we experience sickness and all those things. Okay, I just want to tell you three things, though, so that we can really so we can grab a hold of this promise, and then we're going to really dive in. What does this actually mean? But there's three reasons for this. First of all, uh, the word there for healing, um, it, the Hebrew word can be used either of spiritual healing or physical healing. It is used both in the Bible, and when you look at the context of the passage, everything in this passage is speaking of sins and iniquities and chastisements. It is talking about a spiritual reality. Okay. Furthermore, how we know that this is not speaking of of physical healing is that the Bible itself, many passages in Scripture show us this reality. Does God heal today? Absolutely. Does he heal everyone? No. And the Bible shows us that. We see stories in the Bible of people being healed. We see stories in the Bible of people not being healed. And I could show you a bunch. I've got a whole list of them just from the New Testament. But I even think of the one, you know, where Timothy has stomach issues. And Paul doesn't say, have more faith and be healed. He says, drink a little wine to help your stomach. Now, I'm not saying that to you today to drink a little wine because I know that'll get me a bunch of emails. That's what Paul said to Timothy, okay? All right? But my point is, the Bible shows many passages where people aren't healed, but they are healed. And we pray for people to be healed here, and we see them healed. But the point is, this passage here is not a guarantee that if you give your life to Christ, you're going to be physically healed. And I want us to grab onto what this promise is saying so we can pursue it with confidence. And this brings up my third point, and this is where this promise really starts to become alive. The thing you have to understand Scripture is... Yes, one day, ultimately, we are going to be physically healed. At the resurrection, no more death, thank God. No more sickness, no more, oh, we're going to be healed physically, we're going to, oh, it's going to be awesome. The resurrection, no more problems, no more pain, no more sickness, yes. In the meantime, before the resurrection, the Bible, throughout Old and New Testament, but especially in the New Testament, makes a clear distinction between after salvation, what God does in our inner man and what is happening in our outer physical body. And I want to just show you a couple of passages. It's really important. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 because then we're going to go back to Isaiah 53 and really be able to grab a hold of it. 2 Corinthians 4 16, Paul says this, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self, that's our physical body, is wasting away. That's what Paul says. So he's saved. Remember, when Paul's saved. And he says, Ar, this is too, these are believers. These are Though our outer self, that's our physical body, is wasting away. So salvation doesn't stop me from, feel, from experiencing death and sickness in this lifetime. At the resurrection, I cease to experience those things. But in this lifetime, our outer bodies, our physical bodies, uh, are wasting away. And for some of us, it's happening quicker than others. I don't know why I said that, but we'll just keep going, right? So, <laughs> but our inner, so at the same time, so my physical body, my outer self, is wasting away. My physical body is still, you know, subject to sin and death. But, it, but because of salvation, my inner self is being renewed day by day. So as we wait for the resurrection, there's definitely a difference. The Bible makes a distinction between what salvation does for my inner man and what it does for my physical body. It does not stop the death in my physical body. But there's life on the inside. That it does promise. And if we go to one more passage here, Romans eight ten, then we can go back to Isaiah 53. Romans 8, verse 10 says this, but if Christ is in you, and isn't that an amazing statement? But if Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, now look at this, doesn't stop the body from dying, although the body is still, the body is still dead. Christ is in us, that's an amazing truth, but the body is still dead. Now someday that'll be reversed too, but right now, Christ is in me, the body is still dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit is life because of righteousness. So now, if we go back to Isaiah 53, we can now have total clarity about this promise, okay? Someday we will be healed at the resurrection, but in the meantime, what is this promise promise talking about? By his wounds, we are healed. What this is talking about is the moment you give your life to Christ, it now becomes your absolute right. It's been paid for that you be healed of every root of sin and hurt that is inside of you. By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Jesus does not want to waste. He took an awful, bloody beating. By his stripes, we are healed. He took an awful, horrific, bloody beating. And he does not want us to waste that. He paid for you and I to be healed. And this is one of the key mechanisms this is one of the key, key mechanisms. I said before, caterpillar to butterfly. You've got the new creation deep in your DNA. Now, how does, that, how does that, that new creation that's deep in your DNA work itself out until you can see it on the outside? Well, one of the reasons you can't see it is because that DNA is encased in this big onion of a soul and it's got layers and layers and layers of hurt and lies and wounds and insecurities. And Jesus says that DNA is in you. That's who you are, but it can't be expressed until we heal off all the layers that are in your soul that are covering that DNA. And so one of the mechanisms, how how is it that you go, you're a new creation? That is already true inside your new creation. But now how is Jesus going to take us on this inevitable journey where you're going to now become like Christ and one of the key mechanisms, there's different ones, and we've talked about some of them in this series, obedience, renewal, all the, you know, renewing of the mind. But one of the key ones is, he's got to heal off those layers, the layers of the lies and the wounds and the hurts and the insecurities. He's got to heal those away bit by bit by bit. And he paid for that healing to happen by his stripes, by his wounds. We are healed. By his wounds, we are Healed. And like I said, Jesus doesn't want to waste it. He paid for it already. All you and I now have to do is collect. You know, we're, since we're in Canada and, and in Steinbeck and we're getting another Tim Hortons now, like it's amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, wow, it's amazing. But um, we love Tim Hortons. So I thought, you know what, we got to use a Tim Hortons uh, uh, analogy. You know, if you got the, you know, you've won your roll up the rim, right? And you've won the big jackpot, whatever that is, okay? But you've won the jackpot. So you've got it and you've got the cup in your hand, but you still have to go to the store and you have to redeem it. You've got to collect it. Okay? Jesus has paid for all that healing. He's paid for it. He doesn't want you to waste it. But you have to go to him to collect. Now the thing with Jesus is, you don't go just once. Like with Roll Up the Rim, I've never won any, you know, anything really of value. Uh, but you, you, I'm assuming you just go there once. You go there and you collect whatever it is, your 100 bucks or your 10,000 or whatever you want. You go there once. But with Jesus, it's different because you've got so many layers. you got to go to him again and again and again. And you keep collecting layer after layer. He paid for the healing. So you keep going to him. And he continues to heal and peel back. And more and more, his joy and his DNA is being expressed in you. More peace, more joy, more love, less anger, less bitterness, less resentment, less addiction. But all we have to do is collect. It's already paid for. He already did it, okay? And this should motivate us, motivate us because it's already been paid for. It's not like we have to hope it's going to happen. If we seek him, it will happen. And we've already seen that it's inevitable. He wants to change you from this to this into his likeness. It's inevitable. He's paid for it. He wants it to happen. That should give us tremendous faith to seek and pursue him. Now, I know when I talk about inner healing, though. Some of you will have a little bit of a wrong idea of what inner healing is, and you'll think of it only as like calling the church for an appointment with someone. Well, yes, that's one way, you know, you can work through inner healing, you can pray with someone. We don't have nearly enough staff here to do inner healing with everybody all the time, all the layers that we all need. So phoning up the church and getting an appointment to do some inner healing, that is one way, and certainly there are certain things God will say you can't, you won't get through this layer unless you do it with someone else. But when I talk about You know, when it says up there, by his wounds we are healed, what we're talking about is a regular, ongoing experience that as you walk with Jesus, this is what he does in you. That as a regular part of your life, as a regular, ongoing part of your life, if you are walking with Jesus, you will have regular, ongoing testimonies. Not just 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago, I had this amazing experience with Jesus and I haven't had anything since. If you have a vibrant walk with Jesus, anyone who has a vibrant walk with Jesus will have regular, ongoing, consistent testimony of how he's peeling back the layers. He paid for your healing, and this is what he wants to do, and it's inevitable that he is doing it. He wants to change you from this into this. So if you are pursuing him and walking with him, he will peel back those layers, and he will be working on you. And it's not just making an appointment, it's as we walk with him. I'll just give you one example, okay? Uh, Just to show you, it's so every day. Now, not every day in the sense that every day you're having an experience like this. I don't want you to get that impression. And there's certain periods where he's doing something deep in, in your soul. It might be very painful. You might feel dry for a while. But he's doing a deeper work and it takes a while. I'm not saying you have these experiences all the time. What I'm trying to communicate is this is a regular part of life. It's not just when you make an appointment. If you're walking with Jesus, this is what he does. So some weeks ago, I'm, I'm, you know before the Saturday service, I was just having, you know, one of those days, and you, know, you just, some days, if any of you has ever had to preach before, um, I don't know how many of you had that experience, but sometimes, you know, you just have one of those days, and I was having one of those days, and it was like, the whole message, it's Saturday afternoon, I got a couple hours to the message, and the, the thing is way too long, and it's disorganized, and it's not working, and so now I'm madly in my office, cutting things out, and filling holes, and trying to reorganize, and and, uh, and some of you are looking at me with a very blank stare. Uh, but just, just feel for a preacher for a moment, will you, okay? So, it's last minute. The worship is starting. I'm just finishing the PowerPoint, all this sort of stuff. My insides are going 100 miles an hour. It's like cold sweat. You go backstage it's like, huh, oh, I gotta, I mean, I just do not feel spiritual right now. And one of these, you have to also understand, well, preachers, we're a neurotic bunch, but many of us struggle with a certain fear, and that is, is this fear that, you know, you get up and you just think, like, was that God or was that just me? Like, did I just make that up? Like, uh, some of you are nodding. Yeah, I think you did. You did make that up. <laughs> thank you for thank you for encouraging me. Um, but um, so there's you know the, you have these underlying things you worry about, right? And so I'm sitting backstage and I'm, I'm taking a couple of deep breaths. And I'm like, I, I gotta I gotta pray a psalm. I just gotta quiet myself and. All of stuff. So I opened my Bible to go to a psalm to pray a psalm and except that, you know, like when you, whenever you open your Bible, you don't open it right to where you need to go. You just kind of open it and then you page to where you're going to go. So I just opened my Bible and it opened to Isaiah 51 and so I was going to page from there to the psalms, but it, my eyes just caught on a verse, just happened to catch on a verse. Isaiah 51, 16. And Isaiah 51, 16 says this, and I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand. Now, right in that moment, so I'm just backstage there, and so right now, my eyes just catch there, and it's, oh, and it's one of those rhema words. Like, this verse, in context, has nothing to do with a preacher. But it's one of those rhema words that Pastor Ray has, you know, taught us about for years and years, when God uses Scripture to speak to us powerfully. And I've put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand. In that moment, oh, the truth and the grace of Jesus went deep, and another little layer came off. This feeling I often have of like, I'm, I'm doing it on my own. If I don't feel spiritual, I'm kind of on my own. God's not with me right now. I'm having to work this up on my own. This line went away, and I could feel Jesus' grace and love going to a deeper level of my life in that area than it had before. And I felt him affirming me. I've called you to this. I'm with you on this. I'm helping you with this. I've put my words in your mouth. Even if you don't feel it, I'm there helping you. Well, goodness, that's what we need. That another layer comes off. I feel his grace. I feel his love. Jesus, I love you. And this is, again, this is not, I've got many, 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 many more layers to go. Lots of layers to go. It's not the last time I need to collect. But by his stripes, we are healed. If you have a vibrant walk with Jesus, you will have an ongoing testimony of him pulling back the layers. He paid for it. He's not going to waste it. If you pursue him, he will continually, more and more and more, little ones here, big ones there, painful ones there, good ones there, but he's going to drive his love deeper and deeper into you. And at the more that he does that, every layer that comes off, more of that DNA that's deep down inside that I'm a new creation is going to be expressed in your externals and in your life. It's powerful. Now, I want to just spend a few minutes, and then we'll end this, I want to, and we'll get into the Baptisms. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about why some of us are shut off from this healing. So he's paid for it. He wants to do it in an ongoing way as you walk with him. Why are some of us shut off? There's different reasons. I just want to look at, at three coming out of one. Okay? Why are some of us shut off from this healing? I believe one of the reasons we are shut off from a healing he's paid for and doesn't want to waste. One of the reasons is because we actually wear masks with God. And we don't do it, I think most of us don't do it intentionally. I think most of us, many of us, though, have a devotional life where there are certain things we talk about with God and then actually the deep things of our soul are not the things we talk to God about. So we go to our devotions and we do devotional things. And we read our Bibles and blah, 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 and we pray for the lost people and then we go to work. And it doesn't cross our mind to talk to Jesus about the deep, deep, deep things in our hearts that bother us or that we desire or that scare us or that shame us. We don't bring those things up in devotions because it doesn't cross our minds to do it. In many cases, I think many of us actually wear masks with God. When you wear a mask with God, you've put a layer there where his healing can't penetrate through that mask. So I want to look at three reasons. I want to briefly look at three reasons why I think many of us wear masks with God, which breaks off. He wants to turn you from that into a new creation. You already are a new creation, but he wants it to be expressed in your externals. And you want part of how he wants to do that is he wants to heal you. But some of us are shut off from that healing because we wear masks with God. Three reasons. Number one, I think many of us in some cases, we're afraid to think about certain things in our life or past. There are things we've pushed down so deep. We do not want to, br- we're afraid to think about them. We're afraid to bring them up with God. In some cases, we're afraid of what God will make us do if we think about them. So we just leave them there. We don't even want to open that door. Because there's a whole bunch of stress and shame that come with opening that door. So we just push it down. That's one reason. And you wouldn't believe during this Conquer series, for example, in the case of sexual bondage, we're seeing this with tons of men. I was in tears numerous times this week hearing testimonies from our Conquer group leaders, guys coming up and hugging them, things that they've not told anyone 20, 30 years, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, deeply ashamed of, but they've just pushed them so far down and that pain is deep down there, but you don't think about that. You don't bring that up with anybody. You don't bring it up with God. Second reason we do, we wear masks with God, is because I think in many cases, and for some of you women this won't make any sense, but it certainly is true of a number of us guys, we're not even in touch with what's going on inside of us. Some of you women are going, How is that even possible? (laughs) Take it from a guy, it's possible. It's not only possible, it's common. I remember one time a couple of years ago, I'm going by my brother Stefan's office, and we were talking about something. And he says, How are you doing? Good. And I wasn't lying. I thought I was good. And that's just what you say, right? For many of us guys, I'm good. Good. How are you doing good? And then he, he's, he's a weird guy. Uh, and he, sometimes he asked some really weird questions. And so he asked me a really weird question at the time. He said, well, how are you feeling down in your stomach? What kind of a question is that? <laughs> I just told you I'm good. How am I feeling in my stomach? I'm not hungry. Um, for some reason, I don't know why I stopped to think about it. I should have just kept moving how am I feeling in my stomach? Well, actually, actually, I'm not feeling good. Next thing, there's tears in my eyes. I'm embarrassed. 30 seconds ago, I was totally fine, and now I'm trying not to cry. (laughs) How do I feel in my stomach? Well, I feel really stressed out, to be honest with you, and 30 seconds ago, I wasn't lying to you when I said I was good, completely shut off. A lot of us, and it's not just guys, but it is a lot of guys, completely shut off from what's happening inside of us completely shut off from what's happening inside of us. So we just say, good, 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 but the actuality is we're shut off from what's actually happening deep in our hearts. And if you're shut off, here's the thing. If you're shut off, this is why so many guys feel absolutely utterly dry in their devotional times. If you're shut off from your insides, that's why you can't feel, feel love for Jesus. You can't feel his grace. You can't feel affection because you're shut off. So you just always feel dry and when people talk to you, good you're good. You're fine. Nothing's bad. You don't feel stressed because you don't feel anything. So we're we're just shut off. But if you're shut off from your insides, you're actually shut off from the very place where Jesus' healing needs to reach down deep in there. You're actually shut off from the very place where Jesus wants to reach down. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and totally I get it. I've been that person in past years. Oh, this emotional feeling stuff. That's for wimps. Uh, that's for guys who wear weird socks like Stefan. I'm not going to pick on them anymore today. I promise I will not pick on them anymore today. Um, I think, at least for the next service. But anyway, it's for weird, you know, it's for wimps, right? I'm too busy. This is how some of us think. It's macho. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not putting down. But some of us, how we think, us guys especially, it's like, you know, I'm too busy being successful. Like, can't you see how often I'm on my cell phone? I get texts coming in all day long because I got big projects and I got big success happening and I'm busy. Now, first of all, it's not bad to be busy, to work hard, to be needed. And sometimes that is actually from God. But for some of us, what it is, is actually it's, it's a rush. It's an adrenaline rush and we're addicted to it. And it's easier to live in the rush than to actually open up that can of worms, which is our insides, and deal with that. It's easier to just live and be busy and accomplish, accomplish, accomplish and not have a rich inner life. But here's the thing, if you don't have a rich inner life, and by the way, if you want to read a parable this week, Luke chapter 12 is a parable of the rich man, and Jesus talks in there, he warns about the dangers of being rich in the things of this world, but not being rich on the insides in the things of God. But it's easy, you can go on an adrenaline rush and feel really busy, but you know, someday you're going to find it's empty. 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, you're going to wonder, what was I so busy for? And it's a poverty of inner life with Jesus and an inner experience with him. He wants to touch us on the inside and the thing is feelings might sometimes for some guys be this is for wimps but actually emotions are the doorway to intimacy. And if you're shut off from those things, you will be shut off from the biggest area where Jesus wants to meet you and touch you and turn you where deep down you are a new creation into your outsides into being a new creation. I think a third reason why we wear masks with God is because I think often we feel guilty about what we're feeling. So we might feel angry, we might feel bitter, and we know, well, Jesus doesn't want me to feel that. It's sinful. So therefore, I can't talk to him about it. I just have to not think about those feelings while I'm in prayer with him. That's actually the opposite. Jesus wants you to bring everything to him. The fact that it's a sinful feeling means he wants you to come and talk to him about it so you can work it through together. So you think, I can't talk to Jesus about being bitter because he doesn't want me to be bitter, so I have to try to not be bitter. No, no, you're right. He doesn't want you to be bitter. He wants to help you through the bitterness, and you won't be able to do it without him. Guys, that, guys and girls, that is what the Psalms are. That is what the Psalms are. David was a man's man. I've talked about this before. He killed big people, some little people probably too, but I was just thinking of Goliath. I don't know why I said that. Uh, He killed lions and bears. He killed lots. He killed people he shouldn't kill, right? So he killed. Um, Not part of the message, but he was a man's man. The Psalms show us he was a man after God's own heart. He sinned He made huge mistakes, but he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because when he made mistakes, he worked it through with God. So the Psalms show us the prayer life of a person with a rich inner life. David works through bitterness, anxiety, anger, rage, sadness, despair. He works through all of it with God. He's an imperfect man. He's a man after God's own heart because he did that. We need to work through our stuff. Don't feel guilty about what you're feeling take your feelings to God. Talk to him about them. It's powerful. So, let's review this now. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, you are a new creation. Just like a caterpillar, it's deep in your DNA. The old you has passed away, it just hasn't expressed itself yet. Number two, your sins have been carried away, which means that healing of everything inside of you that is causing you pain and anxiety is your birthright. It will happen if you pursue Jesus. He's already proven that he wants to heal you because by his stripes, we are healed. And this brings up a fourth thing, and I'll read you this passage, Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Have you ever thought on that line for any length of time? Some of you should underline that in your Bible or on your cell phone right now with a pen. And you should go back this week and think about it again and again and again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already proven that he wants to bless you when he gave gave us Jesus. How will he not also much more give us everything else we need? If he's already given us Jesus, he will give you everything you need. To become the person He's asking you and wanting you to be, and He's made you to be. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us. And I've talked about this before, but I just love it. Jesus is praying for you. He's the most powerful prayer partner in the universe because he gets to answer his own prayers. Is that not the coolest thing? So what is Jesus praying for you? He's praying for you to be an overcomer. He's praying for you to be like him. That prayer is guaranteed to be answered if you just keep going that should motivate us. That motivates me to pray. That motivates me to struggle on. Because I know if he's praying for me to be an overcomer, that's what I'm going to become. And the more I struggle and the more I seek after him and pursue him, the more I can accelerate that process because that's what he's praying for and he will answer his prayers. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is your DNA. You're not just a new creation. You are a conqueror. If you're here today and you have given your life to Jesus, you are not a porn addict. You are not defined by your depression. You are not defined by your anger. You are not a bad parent. You are not defined by your failures. You are not a piece of trash. You are a conqueror. Guaranteed, end of sentence, 100%, period. If you don't give up. If you seek him, you will overcome. Because it's in you. It's who you are. Let me finish with a weekly challenge. Two things. Start a conversation with God this week about something you're feeling, something you're afraid of or mad about or resentful of or something you desire. Number three, renew your mind. Renew your mind. I talked about it last week. Memorize. Pick three promises. I just showed you a bunch from Romans 8 today. Memorize Romans 8. Memorize a bunch of the promises in Romans 8. Declare them. Speak them. Pray them. This is who you are. Renew your mind. It will accelerate this process. You are something. Now take hold of it. These promises are right here. And we walk around in anxiety and fear and hopelessness. I don't know if I'm ever changing. Grab a hold of them. They're right here. Make them a part of you. Push them deep down. And then grab hold of them by faith, who you are in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Let's pray. And then we're going to see some amazing testimonies and baptisms. Father, Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for what you did for us at the cross. I pray that you would uproot the lies, that you would pluck up and uproot the lies in us about who we are, that you would show us who we are in you, that you would radically transform our lives as a church, that today the seed would be planted in this message, in this weekend, in this church, that we are conquerors and we are new creations. And I pray that we'll see the fruit of it in the coming weeks and months. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from End Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.